African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Welcome on this Tuesday on the 22nd of October 2018. Well, I should say the 23rd, actually. Uh, this year is quickly moving on and on and on. Just around the corner, it will be a new year. Thank you for joining me, Benjamin Mushata. I'm a right chair on African Dialogue, where from Monday to Thursday, we contextualize the big issues on the continent and the world. Thank you for joining us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Don't forget on DSTV, we're on Channel 8. Uh, that's the audio bouquet. And uh, if you're listening to us via our website, we're on www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, today we're going to be looking at an international story and how it actually impacts the continent. Uh, we're going to be looking at the stage where Brexit is currently. There's a lot of conversation about how uh, the United Kingdom is going to separate itself from uh, the European Union. And also those terms are really much under discussion how uh, the United Kingdom will do that. We know the issues around the Irish border have become very central to this debate, but also the issues of uh, trade between the European Union countries and the United Kingdom. But also, how will Afro actually Africa as a continent be implicated in this Brexit uh, issue? You might not think we're going to be affected, but I'm sure that we will. But we'll look at that after our news update. And Musa is standing by. In the headlines, more than 100 militants have been arrested in Tanzania for planning to set up radical camps in Mozambique. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa emphasizes the importance of Africa prospering as a continent. And Amnesty International report reveals 52 people died in pre-trial detention in Madagascar last year as the country grappled with paralysis in its judicial system. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. At least 104 militants have reportedly been arrested in Tanzania for planning to set up radical camps in Mozambique. According to the BBC, Tanzanian police said they made the arrest during recent security operations in the south and east of the country. In a press conference last week, Tanzanian police said security forces had launched operations over the last few months against criminals in eastern and southern areas but that some of them had managed to flee. Last month, Mozambique began the trial of 189 suspected Islamist militants, where the accused allegedly involved in attacks against police and civilians. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa has emphasized the importance of Africa prospering as a continent. He was addressing South African diplomats at the Heads of Missions Conference in the capital, Pretoria. The conference brings together heads of South African diplomatic missions abroad to assess national and global trends and dynamics. Ramaphosa says the country is not immune to shifts to the geopolitical landscape. He says when Africa prospers, so does South Africa. 
We strive to advance our national interests in the global landscape that is in constant movement and flux where political and social and economic forces beyond our control have a direct bearing on the lives of our people. Like any other country, South Africa is not immune to the tremors and uh, economic earthquakes in the global economy and the shifts in geopolitics. And we have as a country to be on our toes continuously and have to analyze every event as it unfolds. Cameroonian President-elect Paul Bia has thanked citizens at home and abroad for voting massively for him to continue his role as president. It's Bia's first political message since the 7th when he cast his ballot at the government bilingual primary school Bastos in the capital Yaoundé. The message was posted on his social media handles. Bia won re-election with 71% of valid votes cast. Cameroon's Constitutional Council announced the results of the polls amid high security across the country. Meanwhile, the United States congratulated the people of Cameroon and urged all parties, including the government, to respect the rule of law, resolve any disputes peacefully through established legal channels and avoid hate speech. 52 people died in pre-trial detention in Madagascar last year as the country grappled with paralysis in its judicial system. Amnesty International in a report warns that 55% of the Indian Ocean Islands nation's prison population were awaiting trial as of October last year, despite many only facing allegations of minor crimes. Amnesty visited nine prisons across the country and found appalling living conditions, as well as inmates who were facing serious health problems. And finally, Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan has promised to reveal new information shortly on the murder of a journalist in the Saudi consulate in Istanbul. Turkey says it wants to prevent what it calls attempts at a whitewash after the killing of Jamal Khashoggi. A tough critic of the Saudi crown prince, Khashoggi disappeared after he entered the consulate on the 2nd of October to collect a document for his upcoming marriage. The BBC's Mark Lowen reports. In the three weeks since Jamal Khashoggi was killed in the Saudi consulate here, there have been denials, prevarication and shifting stories from Riyadh. Today, President Erdogan will reveal what he calls the naked truth. Saudi Arabia's most recent explanation is that unauthorized officials murdered the dissident journalist and that the government neither consented to the act nor knows where the body ended up. But Ankara believes it was state-sanctioned murder by a Saudi hit squad. President Erdogan is clearly intent on holding the Saudi crown prince Mohammed bin Salman to account. Recapping the top stories, more than 100 militants have been arrested in Tanzania for planning to set up radical camps in Mozambique. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa emphasizes the importance of Africa prospering as a continent and Amnesty International report reveals 52 people died in pre-trial detention in Madagascar last year as the country grappled with paralysis in its judicial system.
Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. Remember that uh, you can join us on our various platforms on DSTV Channel 802 on the audio bouquet in SADC countries. Not all of them, uh, but if you have that facility, that's where you can get hold of us. We're mainly in South Africa. And if you're listening to us on our international platform, remember we are on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. Uh, don't forget that you can also uh, listen to us on our uh, online service on www.chalafrica.co.za. Well, today we're looking at an international relations story, a very big one. I, th- I think it's at a point whereby there's a lot of contestation of ideas as uh, when you look at the Brexit issue, just this past weekend, hundreds of thousands of supporters of the European Union marched through London this past Saturday in the biggest demonstration so far to demand that the that the British government rather holds a second public vote on the terms of Brexit. Uh, the British Prime Minister Theresa May is now facing a huge backlash from hardline Brexit supporters in her own party after she told the European Union leaders that she would consider extending her country's post Brexit transition period by another year. What has also been contentious is uh, the issue of uh, the trade agreement that the United Kingdom will have with the European Union before it separate itself from the political and economic union. We know there's also issues around that particular issue with the border in uh, in Ireland, so there's a lot that's happening in that regard. But let's try to unpack this with our guests on our line. We've got Professor Gerard uh, Arasmans, who is joining us on the line. He is the associate at the Trade Law Center. I have also Asmita Poshetam, who is joining us as a researcher in the Economic Diplomacy Program at Sire. I thank you both for giving us your time on this particular issue. Uh, Let let me start with you, Azmita, in terms of looking at uh, where we are now. I know that the deadline for Brexit is next year, March. Tell us a little bit about the process right now. A lot of political conversations happening currently and also contentions with the United Kingdom uh, within the uh, European Union leaders. Hi, Benjamin. Yeah, no, I think you're 100% right. Uh, the, um, the deadline is fast looming. And uh, it, it's been, I feel like it's almost been a kind of a quick development because there's been a lot of talks about calling for a second referendum. And, you know, we know that the, the Irish, the Northern Irish border remains unresolved. But now reports seem to suggest that, uh, according to Theresa May, that there's a 95% of a deal on the table. Um, but we don't really know exactly exactly what that entails. What we do know so far is that they, the EU and the UK have provisionally agreed on three issues, which are basically the divorce, um, the divorce sum and what happens to the UK citizens living in the EU and vice versa. But what I think what the real particular remains is, is probably how exactly what the trade relations unfold in the event of Brexit. And then also um, what is going to happen with the Irish border because that's been a real sticking point mm. for both the UK and the EU. Well, Professor, it seems as Mita has kind of emphasized some of the issues that I've highlighted. Uh, but I had a conversation with you last week when I was attending this Trailex Center um, uh, workshop that you actually looked at this particular issue. And to my interest, you highlighted the fact that what makes it difficult for uh, Britain and the United Kingdom to separate itself from uh, the European Union is the fact that uh, uh, the issues of the customs unions and trade agreements makes it very complicated for um, this separation? 
That's true, you know. Remember that the UK um, had been a member of the EU for, for the last 43 years. Um, just to put it in perspective, um, it joined in the early 70s, uh, long before the World Trade Organization was formed in 1995. The implication of this is that um, since the European Union is so deeply integrated and since the member states uh, have ceded all the national powers pertaining to, uh, to trade policy matters and tariffs, uh, and the rules that go with that, since they have ceded that to the European Commission, um, they, the individual member states do not uh, implement and make trade policy and, and, and related laws. So mm. that implication alone means that um, the United Kingdom, if it if it moves out of the European Union, if it moves out of the, 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 the customs union and the single market, will have to reinvent its own statehood to, uh, to be able in future to perform all, the, all those functions like customs administration, controlling standards, the paperwork, and all related trade facilitation matters. It must be able to do that on its own. That is the consequence of taking back uh, control or sovereignty uh, over matters that have been um, done jointly in the European mm. Union. So that in itself has a major implication for for cost administration, and that is one of the reasons why it takes so long. Staying with you, Prof, what's very interesting in this regard is trying to figure out right now what uh, the Prime Minister Theresa May is trying to convince both her own party and also her opposition within uh, their own parliament and also trying to negotiate something with the European Union for a smooth transition. It's, being, it's kind of being in a, in a very hard place for her because she has to suit all these various parties. You're quite right. Um, the biggest problem, as I see it, is the paralysis inside um, the uh, Tory party. Uh, and by that I mean the very, very hard and tough views that um, um, some of them take on, 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 on exiting from the uh, European Union in every aspect of that uh, process and to regain sovereignty, as, as some call it. Uh, and on the other hand, the others that uh, the, 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 the pro-EU uh, faction in the party, which emphasizes the tremendous cost and disruption that it will have for b- b- British industry and service providers and, and the financial sector and so on. Mm. So the main problem really is this one in the party. Uh, and, um, and then, of course, as has been mentioned, with that comes the fact that Northern Ireland is part of the United Kingdom. So the, the really tough uh, uh, issue at the moment is how to prevent a hard border between the Irish Republic and Northern Ireland, uh, and uh, on the other side, how to uh, to make sure that um, the um, the Northern that Northern Ireland will remain part of the UK in all in, in, in all practical issues uh, if 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 the UK leaves. So the physical location, the the, the difficulties around how you administer a border, 
to put it very simply, if the UK leaves, then the UK as a whole leaves, and all its borders, including the one between the Irish Republic and Northern Ireland, will then be the outer borders of, of, of the UK. Mm-hmm. If that is the position, there will be a massive disruption and many political danger signs with respect to the Good Friday Agreement and the relationships between the Irish Republic and Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. And that is the biggest issue at the moment. It prevents... It, we must remember that we are, these are two phases of, of, of the deals. The one is the terms on which Brexit, the exit, will take place on the 29th of March next year. And only after that will they start negotiating about the future trade agreement between the UK and, and the EU. Mm. Mr. let me come to you before I bring in Jamil Ahmad, who's just joined us on the line. He's the Vice President of the Corporate Development and Chief Market Analyst at Forex Time. But staying with you, Asmita, you know, Professor Erasmus is highlighting the, uh, the interruptions that we could be seeing post uh, this particular uh, Brexit deal. But also, it's not just economic implications. There's also uh, political relationships that could be scarred in this process. Uh, no, I mean, absolutely. I totally agree with uh, what Professor Erasmus has described. I mean, the um, the Northern Irish border is definitely uh, a sticking point for both the EU and the, U- the, the UK. They both agree that they want to avoid a hard border, as Professor Erasmus has, has suggested. The problem is really how do you how do you make sure that that the hard border doesn't happen? And I think um, it's also important. To, so, of course, Theresa May is finding it even increasingly more difficult because of the fact that there's so much backlash from her own party. This would be a much easier uh, deal to sell. Of course, generally speaking, she wasn't also trying to mediate different factions in her own party, which, of course, doesn't really help any kind of um, agenda development. It doesn't also position the country well in terms of its negotiating position to the EU. I think what's important to also remember is that I don't think that the EU, in my opinion, is necessarily wanting to um, make the UK out of an example into an example per se. I think they will probably stick to their guns, but I also think that we've seen repeatedly throughout the process that, you know, Angela Merkel, Jean-Claude Juncker, they're stressing that they want um, to find, a, you know, a viable solution, that they want um, to assist the UK in, in, in selling some of these ideas to their own electorate in terms of the way in which the exit will happen. So I think it's also important to remember that while arguably the implication or the loss, financially speaking, could be bigger for the UK, it's not like the EU will come out of this um, unscathed. So they also have an interest in trying to ensure that it is as smooth as possible Brexit and a not hard Brexit as possible. Mm -hmm. Well, Well, I'm going to take a quick break and then when we come back, we'll bring in Jamil into the conversation because there's also... uh, you know, that idea and that reality that uh, London uh, is a financial hub for many of the European countries that have actually put placed themselves within the context of uh, uh, the London Financial Centre. And how will that have implications when Brexit is actually unfolding itself? And when we come back a little bit later in the conversation, we're also going to look at the implications that Brexit has on Africa. Let's take a quick one. We'll be back after this. The Azisha Prize celebrates the power of youth-led businesses in Africa to create jobs and viable livelihoods. 
identifying and telling the stories of successful, relevant and young African entrepreneurs to inspire youth across the African continent. Join Channel Africa at 1900 Central African Time on Tuesday the 23rd of October for a live broadcast from the Azisha Prize Awards Gala taking place in Honeydew in South Africa. Be inspired by the impact that very young entrepreneurs are making on the African continent. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Straight past 11 uh, Central African time, you are tuned into Channel Africa, and this is African Dialogue, where we come to you every Monday to Thursday, contextualizing the big issues in the world and also on the African continent. As you heard from that promo tonight, we'll be broadcasting live from the Anzisha Prize, uh, whereby uh, there'll be awards given to some of the youngest entrepreneurs in the country. So do get tuned in there at around uh, 1700 hours Central African time. I'll be also there. Uh, seeing what actually is happening there in terms of the exciting uh, entrepreneurs that will be awarded there. But let's come back to our issue of today. We've been looking at the Brexit. A lot of people are starting to now really unpack the issues on the ground. How will the Brexit um, actually uh, really um, create uh, interruptions also how will the political dynamics be rearranged when we see Brexit unfolding? Let me bring uh, Ahmed, uh, I mean Jamil Ahmad, on the uh, conversation um, from Forex Times. Jamil, thank you for giving us your time. As I highlighted uh, before the break, London is the hub of uh, a lot of. Uh, um, Uh, Europe's financial um, sectors and it seems like uh, even that particular issue is now being brought to the forefront on how uh, that will actually unfold in terms of uh, how business will be done when Brexit is actually um, taking place. Thank you very much for having FXTM once again. So basically it comes down to uncertainty. There's so much uncertainty around Brexit, what's it going to be, the lack of progress with negotiations, and it all comes down to, it really is a mystery right now. And as of last week, we were you know, told that the transition agreement might be extended into 2020, which was something that came as a big surprise. And it doesn't look like either the United Kingdom or the European Union, but most of the United Kingdom, because they're the ones who are trying to negotiate for a better deal, are really ready to leave the European Union right now. So it comes down to uncertainty, and for businesses within London and businesses that have any ties to Europe, they just don't know what's going to happen. I wouldn't say it's going to question the legitimacy of London as a global financial centre over the longer term, but over the short term, there's going to be reports over potential job losses or potential corporations that are considering moving their locations out of um, London and maybe into mainland Europe, whether that's going to be Frankfurt or Paris or a different European location, just because it's unsure over what's going to happen with trade, how you promote services from the UK, and that overall uncertainty is just going to weigh on the credibility and the the title of London as a financial centre over the short term. But I would think over the medium and longer term, London was a global financial centre since even before the Euro and the European Union came together. And I wouldn't say it's going to mean that much 10 to 15 years from now, or maybe even potentially longer. But over the next couple of years, there's going to be a lot of uncertainty, which could weigh on growth. It could weigh on global growth as well. And that's why there's a lot of financial volatility. And even with risks such as global trade, 
and the trade tension between the United States and China. Now is probably just not the right time mm. for Brexit anyway, but it's going to happen because of the votes. Jamil, are we seeing any trends or is it too, too early to tell on whether we're seeing um, companies repositioning themselves in other countries outside of the United Kingdom just because of the fear of the uncertainty that you're talking about? To be quite honest, it's too early to tell, and Brexit still hasn't happened. You know, the United Kingdom will not leave the European Union until at the earliest March 29, 2019, and that could potentially be extended into 2020 mm. if the latest headlines from last week were anything to go by. We've seen some reports about major corporations considering reshuffling jobs into different locations, but there's nothing really to go by that could say that this is going to happen. Um, the only real market in the UK that has felt the pressure of the Brexit negotiations, you could say, might be the house prices mm. and the home prices in London have been fallen. But apart from that, there's so much uncertainty. There's no real breakthrough in UK and EU negotiations. So nobody can really plan for what's ahead because nobody knows what's, what's going to happen. Professor Erasmus, coming to you over that plea of extension from uh, uh, Theresa May, uh, that is a moment of contention with European Union leaders because people are thinking around the issue of why should we see that extension of uh, the transition period by another year. Do you think that could create more conflict within this dialogue between uh, Britain and uh, their European Union? Yeah, let's Look at the technicalities here. On the 29th of March next year, Brexit happens. That is a consequence of the fact that Article 50 of the Lisbon Treaty provides for a two-year period after um, the decision to leave the EU was triggered. So we mustn't think that because there's general uh, uh, references and discussion here about an extension Mm. that Brexit that Brexit is being extended that is not the case Brexit happens on the 29th of of March next year and a lot has to be done in terms of a final agreement about Brexit and the legislation that has to be adopted in the UK in order to to provide for, for for this very important development the the um, transition phase has been part of the mix for quite a long time. Um, I think it um, it 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 was um, first introduced after well sometime last year already when it became clear that these two phases can't be finalised now. So the transition is about um, the position in which the UK will um, uh, trade and interact with the EU after March next year, um, but without a final trade agreement with the EU being negotiated. So part of the criticism of that uh, has been around for a long time because during that period, Mm -hmm. the UK will have to pay. uh, It will have to live under the rule book of the EU, but it will not be a member. In other words, it will not sit in the meetings when um, new rules are discussed, discussed, the new policies are discussed. Mm-hmm. And as someone has said, this comes at a very awkward time. So in what has what now been mentioned last week is that the transition period will be extended even longer. Mm-hmm. And why is that? Because of the backstop that the EU requires with respect to the hard border between Northern Ireland and, and, um, and the Irish Republic. Mm-hmm. So... And this is a very controversial point. 
it will mean, as it is now suggested by the Prime Minister, that the UK will actually remain part of the customs union for a, a, a long period of time, and we don't know exactly when it will end. You see, that has also to be decided in order to prevent an immediate uh, hard border between Northern Ireland mm. and, and, um, and, and, and the Irish Republic. So keep these two mm. very difficult challenges uh, a little bit separate. And the one is the hard uh, Brexit backstop challenge remains there in order to get to the 29th of March, and only after that will the final future trade uh, uh, arrangement between the UK and the EU be negotiated. You know, because as Mita, you know, Professor Erasmus highlights very interesting dynamics here because the issue of uh, being part of the European Union and why some um, other leaders within the European Union are having a hard time with the standpoint that uh, uh, the UK is actually offering and putting on the table is the fact that it will actually have a certain benefit in terms of uh, 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 removing itself and having that uh, sovereignty and having also that kind of freedom of creating new negotiations around trade agreements or whether it's a political affiliations. However, it will also have the custom union benefit and that is an issue that's creating that contention because the issue of uh, gateways to borders is one of the greatest uh, um, benefits to being, being part of the European Union. I mean, exactly. You have to also think about, you know, once this happens and once the exit process happens and you have to think about, you know, what is the ramification on a day-to-day basis. Other mm. speakers have already mentioned, you know, depreciating housing prices. The fact that there's going to be, you have to pay a customs levy, uh, you know, you'd have to pay for things being imported from the EU. So your groceries, just today I saw an article about talking about, you know, which um, ports, which airlines are going to actually, uh, and which airports are going to have to deal with bringing in, you know, good consumer goods, bringing in food from the EU. How is that going to be managed so that the system isn't overburdened? We've got the financial services points being made, and I think it's also important to remember at the time at which the, when all of the just before the Brexit vote was happened, uh, happened, and and before of that, before all of that happened, the UK was already in, you know, quote unquote, privileged position compared to many EU members because they already had certain concessions that had been given to them at the time at which they joined with the EU. And they were trying to make good on that, and there was a number of other concessions that the EU was actually willing to give them. The big issue was, of course, immigration, uh, which is one of the reasons why Brexit has actually happened. So when you think about it from that perspective, the, the UK was in a, favorable, in a more favorable position compared to some of the other EU members, and yet uh, Brexit still happened. So this then becomes an interesting negotiating position, I think, for the EU because it's you know it's kind of like they had a good deal and they still wanted to leave the EU. And the question now becomes, you know, what happens um, in the relationship between those mm. two parties? And also today in mind that the, UK, the EU is one of several parties mm. that the UK is going to have to build relations with as an independent, you know, sovereign nation outside mm. of the EU. What about America? What about Japan? What about mm. China? What about African countries? Sure. It's got a multitude of relationships to manage, and 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 not only on and, and not only the EU, the mm. relationship with the EU. Well, I'm going to come to that, especially that dynamic of Africa also having some uh, um, impact in in this particular Brexit issue. Uh, we'll deal with that particular. Um, 
part of the conversation after this quick break because I think that's something that uh, African leaders, I don't think they've actually spoken about and come to terms to how Brexit will also uh, kind of affect uh, uh, their trade relations with Europe. For those who sang Doremi Faso, was not about me, 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 me. That's why I feel so honored honoring Mamusisum. This year, 2018, marks a hundred years of the birth of Nonzigelelo Albertina Sisulu, who died in June 2011. Nonzigelelo Albertina Sisulu, a humble and yet gallant epitome of South African people's steadfast struggle for human rights and freedom against apartheid racism and all forms of oppression in the entire world. Join Channel Africa, the South African nation and progressive mankind across the world in celebration of a centenary of a gallant freedom fighter and a mother of the South African nation. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective. Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. Remember our various platforms on Shortwave, on DSTV, Channel 802, the, and that audio bouquet. And uh, you can also find us online on www.channelafrica.co.za. We South Africa's external service into sub-Saharan Africa. Well, this is African Dialogue with me, Benjamin Mushatama. Today we're looking at the complication of where Brexit is right now and the different um, conversations that are happening in regard to that. If just joining us, we have on the line Professor Gerard uh, Erasmus, who is an associate at the Trade Law Center. We also have Asmita Pishatam, who is uh, joining us as a researcher at the Economic Diplomacy Program at SIA and from FXTM. We've got Jamil Ahmad, who's the Vice President of Corporate Development and Chief Market Analysis. Professor, coming to you in this part of the conversation, uh, Asmita was highlighting the fact that uh, the complication is also different trade relations that uh, the European Union has and uh, uh, the Brexit issue will now have to see uh, Britain and the United Kingdom actually now uh, starting new relationships, maybe working on new um, uh, trade agreements with various countries. How will Africa be implicated in that? Well, Benjamin, the first factor to mention is that uh, we in Africa trade uh, with the, um, the European Union, that's the original uh, 28 members, including the uh, United Kingdom, uh, on preferential basis. Um, the EU is our... Can you explain that to our listeners, especially the issue of preferential ba- um, basis, because they might not understand the term, Prof? Yeah, no, 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 I'll come to that. But yeah, sure. It means that the tariffs that normally apply in trade between um, uh, uh, different countries, those tar- tariffs, that, in other words, the taxes that are being paid on goods that are, that are imported, um, they are determined by, uh, unless you have a preferential arrangement, are determined by the rates uh, 
negotiated under WTO mm. membership. Mm. Mm. If there is a preferential trade arrangement, as there is between us and the European Union, then um, mm. in principle our goods enjoy duty-free, quota-free access to the, to the European Union markets. There is this niggling problem of rules of origin which, and, and standards that um, have to be taken into account. It doesn't mean that we just simply export everything we produce into the, into the EU. It's, it, it must meet the, 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 the sanitary and safety standards. It must meet mm. uh, the rules of origin and so on. Mm. But the, the main point is we've got a preferential arrangement under the um, uh, chapters of the Cotonou Agreement. It is in technical terms the generalized system of preferences. Mm. The only exception on this is uh, the uh, Economic Partnership Agreement, which um, uh, is a special agreement between EU on the one hand and uh, South Africa, the Customs Union member states, Namibia, Botswana, mm. Lesotho, Swaziland, Eswatini, and then uh, Mozambique. What do we have? We have secured those benefits in the form of a bilateral trade agreement, which is WTO compatible. But let's take our beef or our table grapes or the wine in South Africa. As matters stand at the moment, they go into the EU market as the EU market. Mm. But the distribution after that and the actual consumption, wine, for example, there are millions of liters of wine, South African wine, uh, being sold in the UK. Mm. If the UK exits from, the, uh, from, the, from that part of the EU arrangement, which is the customs union, then it means that um, we will have to um, work out a new preferential arrangement mm. for Africa uh, 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 at large to trade in future with the with the with the um, UK, and it has been promised that it that that there will not be an interruption. But the promise needs to be translated into a legal basis. The 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 arrangement that benefited us and applied to the EU as a whole will be discontinued with respect to our trade with the, with the UK after Brexit, mm, mm. after the final Brexit. Mm. The, the interim phase, the transitional phase, mm. will probably mean that our, for the duration of the transition that the present arrangement will continue to exist, but it means we will have to make plans and, 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 and conclude new technical and legal arrangements to prevent disruption in the trade with the UK in future. Mm. And just as a final reminder, Benjamin, sure. remember that the Cotonou Agreement's trade chapter mm. comes to an end in 2020. So the EU was in any case and has been busy in, in any case um, starting discussions with us in Africa about uh, how we will trade with each other in future. Okay. So the uncertainties mm. also spill over into that area. Okay. All right, Azmita, from your perspective, just listening to the context and the example, South African example that Professor Erasmus was highlighting there, um, you know, when Theresa May was in the country, it's almost like we were at the back foot with the discussions. Um, we were looking at trying to reassure her about our land, economic policies, around investment issues, but we never really put our put foot forward around her issues with uh, uh, the Brexit complication. How should we approach as African countries this particular topic? Um, I think that 
I think that the UK will have an interest in, in pursuing relationships with, uh, with African countries. I think that is equally true for African countries. I mean, traditionally, the UK has always been seen as a, as a voice for African affairs within the EU, um, and especially in, in terms of the common, the common agriculture policy that the EU has, which was quite protectionist. So the, the UK comes from a history or a trajectory of being that kind of voice for African affairs. Of course, whether that continues uh, once the UK leaves, uh, the EU uh, remains to be seen. I think also that, um, I think from South Africa's perspective itself, what we do know is that there have been numerous statements issued by both sides about continuing the trade relationship, about promoting investment in South Africa. Um, of course, you know, generally countries have been concerned about the policy environment in South Africa, and hopefully that will start changing. But the idea is that there hasn't been uh, there hasn't been any kind of indication to suggest that the relationship is going to be discontinued or that the relationship will will wane in its um, importance. I also think that uh, what we do know is that the UK government has indicated that the that the product FI is likely to continue. Uh, what the UK and what the UK loses, what is the UK to the product FI will still continue bilaterally between the UK and the country's party to, to the to the to that particular FI. Of course, the more interesting question is whether the EU is able to finalize all the other efforts and how that's going to indicate its relations with the EU. I think mm-hmm. for both parties, there's obviously something to be gained um, in continuing the relationship. The question is whether the question becomes what is the UK's second order? You know, which which relationship does it devote more time and energy towards fostering and towards um, cultivating? And in that spectrum of the second order, then the question becomes whether the African countries Okay. Um, Jamil, let me wrap up this conversation with you in terms of uh, your take on the African context in, in relation to uh, Brexit. There's a, certainly an opportunity. Um, there's an opportunity to strengthen trade ties with both the European Union and the United Kingdom, which obviously at a time where we talk about well, let's talk about South Africa first. South Africa being in a recession and probably needing to strengthen its uh, economic ties with both parties wouldn't be a bad idea. The risks are that there's so many um, uncertainties as well with global trade, the global trade tensions with the United States and China, and how mm. this can impact global growth. We've already had the comments from the IMF two weeks ago about global growth potentially plateauing, which means that global growth might have got it as good as it gets. So that really highlights the risks that do come with Brexit, global trade tensions, and what impact this could have on everybody. It's not just the United Kingdom and European issue. It's not just the United States and the China issue when it comes to trade. This is something that can impact the global economy, and a weaker global economy can mean weaker global trade, and that's a bad thing for emerging markets, which means there could be downside risks on the African economy as well as a consequence of a lot of uncertainty and then just trade tensions. Mm. Um, Professor Rasmus, do you see opportunities here for Africa? Well, I, I, I very definitely agree with this emphasis on, on the bigger picture that we've just heard. The, the mm. bigger picture is not a reassuring one. And the implication for leadership in Africa um, is to, to look at the whole picture, to look at, 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 at all these developments. Uh, we face some specific challenges in Africa. We have to, to as I said, um, we have to come up with, a, with responses to Brexit. We have to come up with responses to uh, Agoa, which uh, is the uh, American uh, channel for us to, to, to export to the United States. And some, some uh, sub-Saharan African countries um, 
find that a very important uh, trade relationship. Mm. Uh, uh, there are uncertainties, very serious uncertainties mm. about the, the rules-based global trade system as a result of tensions between China and the U.S. and others. Mm. So this is in, this, these are these are uneasy times, yeah. and therefore we will have to look at, at that at, at the whole package and all the challenges together. Leadership will be tested. Well, thank you all for giving us your time. We really appreciate for contextualizing this particular big issue. Thank you to Professor Gerard Erasmus, who is the associate at the Trade Law Center. Thank you as well to Shmita Apashatem, who is a researcher at the Economic Diplomacy Program at SIA. And Jamil Ahmad joins us once again. He's the Vice President of the Corporate Development and Chief Market Analyst at Forex Time. Thank you all for giving us your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Benjamin. Bye-bye. Fantastic. That takes us to almost 11.45 Central African time. Remember, engage with us on our social media. Uh, go to our Twitter handle at Channel Africa 1. It's the numeric 1 at the end, at Channel Africa 1. Or you can join the African Dialogue Twitter handle at African Dialogue. Remember, we've got a Facebook page simply titled Channel Africa where you can engage, engage with us on these matters. It's 11.45 Central African time. We already have Wisani Matebula. He's back with us today and he's going to give us our business news.